0: This teaching series is coming to you from Bible Temple in Portland, Oregon. Okay, let's turn to our study tonight. We have three more sessions uh, tonight, and then two more weeks before uh, the summer, or uh, the minister's conference, and then uh, make the change of program with the summer schedule. Let's turn to uh, a passage in the New Testament, and then we'll go back to Genesis. Uh, We're going to turn to Romans chapter 9. Uh, In fact, we'll just change our mind. We'll do Romans 9. We'll do the book of Malachi first, and then go to Romans 9, where Paul quotes something uh, concerning what we're going to be looking at tonight. A scripture that uh, I'm sure a lot of us have read, if we've read the Bible through, and scripture that I used to puzzle over until I looked at what we'll be sharing tonight. All right, uh, Book of Malachi, or Malachi, whatever you say here, (laughs) or Malachi. (laughs) Uh, Malachi chapter 1 and verses 1 through to 5. Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through to 5. The Burden of the Word of the Lord to Israel, by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains, and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness? Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I shall build, but I will throw down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and you shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. We have very peculiar statements there. Uh, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, and what God would do to Esau. Now let's go to Romans chapter 9. Romans 9. And we'll take from verses 6 through to 14. Romans 9, verse 6 through to 14. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for these seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbids. How many have read that scripture in verse 13 over the years and uh, wondered uh, what we have to do about this? Uh, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And uh, we immediately try to reconcile, well, God so loved the world, God is love. So how can God, who is love, say, well, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated? What was there about Esau? And particularly when he says, well, the children not, uh, not being not yet even born, and neither having done any good or evil... Why does God uh, say, Esau, have I hated, but Jacob, have I loved? And then as uh, he said through the prophet Malachi, I will desolate all his mountains and uh, lay his mountains and his heritage waste and impoverish him and desolate all his places. And uh, though they'd try to rebuild, the Lord would throw it down and uh, desolate the whole people. And they were, were, were referred to as the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. All right, we don't understand those verses and the language of, of the Lord through the Apostle Paul unless we go back to the book of Genesis, which we will do now. Genesis chapter 25. Because as we read in verse 14, is there unrighteousness with God? How can God, who is righteous, say, I love somebody and I hate somebody? Uh, is there unrighteousness with God? Paul says, God forbid. Okay, in Genesis chapter 25, we have the uh, birth of the two sons of Isaac. Now, remember what we've been following through. We've followed Abraham, and uh, his offering up of Isaac as the only begotten son, then the death of Sarah in the beginning of this chapter, and then the uh, marriage of Isaac. The only begotten son to Rebecca, as we looked at last week, his bride. Now we want to look at uh, something that begins here, or it's really continuation of a theme that's in Genesis, which we'll pick up uh, concerning Isaac's bride and his, his uh, twin sons. So, all right, verse 19, Genesis 25, verse 19. And uh, perhaps before I read, I'd like to sort of put an outline just for our teaching session here tonight of what we're going to be uh, studying Uh, we want to look first of all at the having looked at the marriage of Isaac we want to look now at the birth of his twin sons I'll just put the outline on the board just to give you a little sense of direction where we're going then we want to look at what God says about the character of these two sons their character and then we'll look at the enmity and the conflict between these two sons and uh, look at the marriage particularly of one of them all these things sort of ho- open to us why God says Esau have I hated Jacob have I loved uh, then we're going to look at a genealogy of one of them that is about genealogy anyway something like that and then uh, we'll just do a little, more, a little bit more on this conflict it comes these twin sons alright in verse 19 through to 22 we have the the account of the birth of these two sons or their conception uh, perhaps we should say first of all so in verse 19 these are the generations of Isaac Abraham's son Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife um, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian of Padan and Aram the sister to Laban the Syrian and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord was entreated of him and Rebekah his wife conceived you'll notice that there's a certain pattern that God uh, goes through with all these men uh, for instance we have Abraham and his wife was barren and then we come to Isaac and his wife was barren uh, later on we come to Jacob his wife is barren and so what the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 54 sing O barren sing so all of these men uh, their wives were barren and had to, uh, they had to entreat the Lord in order for fruitfulness to come forth it becomes a picture also of the church in a barren state that has to entreat the Lord for offspring for uh, multiplicity of seed because of the promise the promise is there But all these wives go through that contradiction. God had promised multiplicity of seed, yet Sarah is barren. Uh, Rebecca is barren. Rachel is barren. So uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. These three men, all of them had wives who were barren and then had a miraculous uh, uh, healing there in order to bring about a birth of of seed there. And uh, we're not going to have time for this uh, in our last three sessions but I'll throw the seed out we take Abraham, Isaac and Jacob these three fathers and take them as a character study it's a very interesting study to take their wives as a study and see what God demonstrates in Abraham and Sarah in relation to the father God and Israel Isaac and Jacob in regard to uh, their wives Rebecca and Leah and Rachel in the church so uh, their wives are a complete study we generally study the 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 fathers but we don't study their wives and that's a very very interesting study there alright so uh, uh, Isaac's 40 years of age uh, and then he entreats the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord was entreated of him verse 21 and Rebekah his wife conceived alright now we find in verse 22 that in this conception there's a struggle of the children within her the children struggle together within her and she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she did the only sensible thing. She went to inquire of the Lord. Now, you'll notice here that there comes a prophetic word before the two sons are born, before these twin sons are born. God gives a prophetic word concerning their destiny. And I want you to sort of uh, look what he says in verse 23 about that. So here Isaac the only begotten son now we've got to pick up this point here because of what we're going to because there's something uh, that takes place in in, in mystery here form as we'll see here is the only begotten son of the Old Testament and from this only begotten son are going to come two seed lines twins and uh, in them is going to be manifest the mystery of godliness and the mystery of iniquity Or what Paul says, children of promise, children of the flesh. Something's going to be at work in these twin sons. Now, you see, before it was Abraham and uh, Hagar and Ishmael and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. But now this mystery is getting closer here because it's twins in the same womb here. All right, now verse 23, look what the prophecy uh, says here. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. I want you to pick up, just breaking this verse up, three particular thoughts here as we uh, go through here. Number one, two nations. So within these two children, Jacob and Esau, or Esau and Jacob, there were two nations. Number two, he says, two manner of people. Uh, they would be different. Two kinds of people will be separated from thy bowels. And number three, the third fact here in this prophecy, and you'll notice it's a prophecy before birth because, because of God's foreknowledge. Isaiah prophesied this, uh, the destiny of these two sons, these twin sons. So these twin sons would become two nations, two different types of people. And then number three says, the one people will be stronger than the other people. So one is going to be stronger than the other, and the uh, fourth fact that arises out of that is the elder will serve the younger. Now, this inward struggle in the womb was symbolic of an outward struggle of the two nations that would come from these two sons. And uh, uh, I'm just going to take a particular line tonight, but if if, if we wanted to take this in a in a three-part study, we could look at this first of all, which we will in the natural a little bit tonight, and then we could take it to the national situation today with the uh, Israel, the modern state of Israel, Jacob, Israel, and Esau, Edom, and the Arab world, if we wanted to get into a national uh, political thing here, which I don't want to, uh, but, but what is going on today, we'll say that much anyway, that what is going on today is simply the consummation of this end of the age between uh, the twin sons, Esau and Jacob, and between the Arabs and Israel. This is what we're seeing today is just the consummation of this prophecy. You're anticipating something, Brother Steele. Just hold on until I get a bit, and then I'm going to link this up. And then if I haven't answered the question, then I'll let you put your hand up again, okay? Uh, <laughs> just, uh, we're laying it out here. All right, so, so we could take the national situation today, which is, as I said, it's the consummation of what this prophecy that's uh, given before the two sons are born. Uh, the, the, the the area I want to take is sort of take the natural and the spiritual we'll leave the national uh, side out seeing these things are on tape and anybody gets agitated if I touch on anything national or political here they send the tapes back to Bible Temple so I have to behave myself people seem to lose their second blessing over these things uh, alright so what I was saying the inward struggle <laughs> Uh, in the womb was symbolic of an outward struggle of the two nations that was going to begin after the birth and go right through, right through to the second coming of Jesus Christ because there's no hope of reconciliation between the Israel-Arab situation unless it's through Jesus Christ. No hope. No hope. You can have all the united nations, ununited nations, disunited nations, re-reunited nations and try it all and they'll all fall to the ground. Because there's no reconciliation apart from Jesus Christ. In fact, just uh, wandering a little bit here, but these two sons, they came together at the death of the only begotten son. There'll only be reconciliation through the death of Jesus Christ. Shadows forth that. All right, now let's go, go on a little bit here to their birth. So the prophecy before the birth and when her days to be delivered were fulfilled behold there were twins in her womb and the first came out red I'll play on that uh, little word a little bit because the the names that are going to be given to the sons Esau means red everything about this guy is red (laughs) and then Jacob and uh, let's not use it in a negative sense tonight though we often do and so, well, Jacob's a deceiving, a planter and everything like that but uh, let me show you the, the positive side of it because God made it more on a positive side we do it in the character study on the negative and that's okay but something divine here which we'll see in a moment alright, so uh, Twins Winner Womb, the first came out red, all over like a little hippie all over like a hairy garment and they called his name Esau, Red, which means red. Esau, Edom, Red, Red. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. Now, I want you to pick up something here, uh, sort of linking up here, but let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, because this, uh, Genesis being the seed book of the Bible, as we've said so many, many, many times, Uh, This theme is picked up from Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, where the Lord is talking to the snake in the grass, who hasn't got a leg to stand on. Uh, The Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, here we have this mysterious act in the birth of these twin sons. And, and, and as I say, there's a mystery that's in here that God sees. And that's why he says, Jacob have I loved, Esau so have I hated. Both these sons are born of the only begotten Son. Both born of the only begotten son. You might say they were born again if you want to take the spiritual uh, allegory that I'm going to get into in time. Esau and Jacob. So Esau is the firstborn. So characteristics, moving on here a little bit here, characteristics, he is the firstborn after the flesh. The firstborn after the flesh but God's going to fulfill a principle that we have in Matthew chapter 20 somewhere he says uh, Matthew 20 verse 16 the first shall be last and the last shall be first so this principle of the first and the last is all the way through the Bible we'll pick up a little bit of it here so he saw the firstborn after the flesh the thing that you strike about this guy he's red better red than dead how many think would be better dead than red <coughs> and he's hairy <laughs> I have a brother in New Zealand how many remember Rob Wheeler he has he has five fingers of course but he's got two fingers and one of them's very hairy and the other smooth he said <laughs> one's Esau and one's Jacob he holds up his two fingers he saw Jacob Esau is hairy all over him Jacob's a smooth man right, so (laughs) he's first born out of the flesh he's red, he's hairy and uh, now when Jacob is born what does Jacob do in verse 26 back here linking up with Genesis 3.15 and after that came uh, his brother out and his hand took hold on Esau's heel now there's something that links up in this Genesis 3.15 Uh, back here the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head and uh, thou shalt bruise his heel. So there's something connecting with the heel here. So Jacob, who's the last born here, the first shall be the last, the last shall be the first, because there's going to be this switchover in God's mind because of what God sees. He's the last born. You might say first born, last born, and he takes hold of Esau's heel. Now, I've mentioned this before, but... uh, When a child is born, what is born first? The head. So the head is first born, or the head is born first. So uh, what's the last part of the body born? The heel. So now in this birth, the head and the heel come together. Here, uh, Esau's heel has just been delivered in birth here, and now uh, Jacob's head here, and he just grabs hold of the heel. So the head and the heel are going to... So to get together here, some mysterious link up with Genesis three fifteen: "It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel." This head and heel theme begins here, and that's a theme that we could take right through the Word. It just runs right through the Word of God. Jesus Christ, the head of the church, and Judas lifted up his heel against the head, uh, so forth. And yet, there's somewhere reversal where God will bruise Satan under your feet shortly, and the feet are on the body as I've said other times I don't care if you call me a heel uh, there's, there's some link up in this head and this heel and uh, linking it up with the first prophecies we said if, if the heel bruises the serpent's head then it means the head and the heel are going to get together in that crushing in that bruising so here's this mysterious link up of Jacob last born taking hold of uh, Esau's heel and his name was called Jacob Now, as we've said here, the interpretation of the name. Interpret the name, you'll interpret the character. So Esau, his name means red. Jacob means supplanter. As I said, we have uh, sort of used this in, uh, in a negative way, but God did not originally intend this name to be used in a negative way like we do because what God was seeing, because he says, Esau have I hated and Jacob have I loved because of his foreknowledge. And he knew the destiny of these twin sons. He knew the destiny of the, p- the, the two manner of people and the two nations that would come from these two sons. He knew all that and he foretold it. Uh, and so what he is saying here in due time, though Jacob is the last born, he is going to supplant, he is going to replace the red spirit. See, he's not using it in a negative sense as we often do and that's all right for a character study. But God is saying that Jacob is going to supplant, not in a negative sense, sense he's going to replace. And this is why God says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Not the God of Abraham, the God of Ishmael, and the God of Esau, which it would have been if it had been firstborn after the flesh. But the first shall be last. There's this switch over here. All right, so this is what we see happening. Okay, let's continue. Verse 26, the latter part, and Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. Now we move on to a little bit more of the characteristics here of the two boys. And uh, verse uh, 27, and the boys grew, so both of these growing together in the same house, both born of the only begotten son. This is the mystery about the thing. And Esau was a cunning hunter. a man of the field so let's put down these are the characteristics of Esau he is a cunning hunter and he is a man of the field in the allegory we're taking here the field is the world but Jacob he is a plain man and the word plain has the thought of being an upright man plain man, an upright man and, uh, dwelling in tents so he's a plain man and he's a tent dweller now we've we've touched on this before because remember way back in Genesis chapter 12 what were the three things that we said that characterized Abraham, Isaac and Jacob uh, they were men of the altar, men of the tent and men of the that Yes, looking for a city and also calling on the name of the Lord. So the, uh, they, they built an altar, pitched a tent, called on the name of the Lord. So what is the tent? What was the tent symbolic of? Tabernacles, yes, but also, yes, character of the uh, pilgrim and stranger. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, which we may remember, that uh, God has prepared for them a city and that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were heirs with him of the same promise, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims, looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. So they were tent dwellers, never living in a city. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were never allowed to live in a city. Okay. Geographically, we live in a city, but uh, spiritually, we shouldn't be living in a city. We should be living in a tent and have the character of a pilgrim and stranger upon us, because we're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Amen. All right, now. Let's see, so here we have characteristics. Esau, a cunning hunter, a man of the field, Jacob, a plain man dwelling in tents. Now, verse 28, Isaac loved Esau. Why did Isaac love Esau? Two reasons, one that's said here and uh, one that's uh, implied here. What's the, what's the one that's implied? He loved es- uh, Esau because Esau was the firstborn. And as the firstborn, he was entitled to the birthright that would be given to him from the father. So there was that, and not only that, there was the natural thing. Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. He liked the soup. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So why did Rebekah love Jacob? Because, because of the prophecy, right, because of the prophetic word. That's given to her before the sons are born. She's got that prophetic word. Tragedy is that she's going to do what uh, Mrs. Abraham did, Sarah did uh, years before. She's going to help God out and try and help God fulfill that prophecy. little laying on the hands of prophecy before the baby's even born, but she's going to try and help God out to her regret. All right, so now verse 29. And Jacob sawed pottage. And Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage. You note this whole thing is characterized by red. Uh, The margin says, Feed me with that red. (laughs) His name is red, he's hairy, he's red, and he wants some red pottage. For I am faint. Therefore his name was called Red. And uh, as I said, we're sort of uh, using uh, Paul's allegorical principle a little bit tonight, but think of the red spirit that is uh, dominating the world. Two-thirds of the world, more than two-thirds of the world now under the red spirit. Communism or socialism, but the red spirit that is prevailing. And uh, the Bible shows in the book of Revelation the whole earth, whole earth is going to end up red. In fact, you go through Revelation, just take the color red. The second horse is a red horse. And to the second horse and the rider was given a sword that it should take peace from the earth. How many think that red horse is riding forth? Okay. Who stands before the The uh, woman. In Revelation 12, it's clove with the sun, moon, stars, a great red dragon. What nation has the symbol of a dragon? Who is the real dragon behind the dragon? Satan. A great red dragon. Red, when you see red in the Bible, in the positive sense it's used for the atonement, the scarlet thread of the atonement, the blood of Jesus Christ. But when it's used in the negative sense, it's always of the murder of Satan who's drunken with the blood of the saints, A red dragon, who supports the scarlet-colored woman in Revelation 17, the false harlot church that's in formation, a scarlet-colored beast because she is drunken with the blood of saints. She's a scarlet-colored woman and she's sitting on a scarlet-colored beast and upheld by a political thing that supports the ecumenical thing. It's a frightening thing to realize that many in the World Council of Churches and the National Council of Churches are socialists and Marxists, and yet churches in the States are sending untold thousands of dollars to support them while they kill the missionaries in Africa and other countries. And I honestly don't know how any church really belong to the world council churches or the national council churches when there's a red spirit there right? so that red spirit and the characteristic of which is murderous it goes right through to consummation today all right so uh he says okay give me that red pottage and his name's called red so jacob said sell me this day thy birthright now here jacob is trying to help god out i I believe that as we see in the following chapter or chapter 27, Jacob and his mother have communicated with each other and, and uh, no doubt she's told him about the prophecy that God gave concerning them before their birth. And chapter 27, she's going to try and help God out and say, Listen, Jacob, your father hasn't got long to live. He's promised to bless Esau and uh, God gave him this prophecy and God helps those that help themselves. So let's get into the act here. Okay? And she's going to lose, lose her favorite son. And so uh, he sees, okay, well, I've got to help God out. Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, and uh, paraphrasing a little bit, behold, I'm at the point to die. You know, who can live on pie in the sky when we die? What shall this birthright do to me? See? So here a man, you know, Jacob seizes the opportunity let me just read off my note here Esau came in faint from the field and asked Jacob for some of the red pottage Jacob seized it as an opportunity to get the birthright blessings he asked Esau to sell it to him Esau said he was going to die so what profit would the birthright be uh, be to him so he took oath and sold it to Jacob now there is nothing deceitful about this there is no use saying Jacob was a deceiver here he was not a deceiver Jacob, and this is why God says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob. In spite of Jacob, Jacob knew and valued spiritual things. So it's not an underhand deal here. He asked him, he said, you sell me a birthright. And Esau is the one, because God says, Esau, have I hated Jacob, have I loved? And so uh, Esau, what does he care about a birthright and everything that be- belongs, belongs into the birthright which we out with many many years ago it seems on the church of the firstborn the birthright what shall this birthright do to me who can live on promises after you die and jacob said swear to me give me an oath and he swore to him and he sold his birthright unto jacob there's nothing underhand about it jacob values spiritual things he didn't need to get it this way because it was promised to him before birth god would have given it to jacob and as uh well we'll see where we get to tonight it's one thing for Jacob to get it from Esau it's another thing for Jacob to get it from Isaac it's another thing for Jacob to get it out of God and that's what the next three chapters are so about it's one thing to get laying of hands from man and the prophetic word it's another thing to get it out of God and I believe in laying of hands and prophecy but you see there's something where God's got to get into the act see there's that which is human Uh, 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 The human responsibility is that which is divine sovereignty you see both are going to be manifest here in time and so he sold his birthright right. so another thing we see about him he sold his birthright and then uh, verse uh, 34 uh, the Holy Spirit just inspired it so beautifully then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lintels and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way and thus Esau despised his birthright he not only sold it he sold it because he despised it now as we know that no words are just there to fill up the book he sold his birthright he despised it he went his way now let's go over to the book of Hebrews and see what the Holy Spirit does with this here and then we'll pick up a few uh, loose ends here Hebrews chapter 12 chapter 12 and uh, the writer to the Hebrews if it's Paul, whoever but the writer to the Hebrews now under the inspiration of the Spirit is writing to and you'll start to sort of see the analogy here and the, the uh, allegory that I've taken up here he writes to believers who are Christians the true Jacob, the true Israel of God the true Hebrews he's writing to them And he warns them because there's conflict going on between Christianity and apostate Judaism. And uh, what does he say to them? Because just as there was enmity between Esau and Jacob, uh, as I said, we're just taking not the thing nationally, which it is today, but in an allegory here, Uh, conflict between Judaism and and Christianity there between the Jacob and Esau both born of Isaac both through that promise only begotten son of the Old Testament so what does he say in uh, Hebrews um, 12 it is Hebrews 12 I'm sorry verse 15 looking diligently lest any man fail or the margin has fall from the grace of God how can you fall from the grace of God if you're once in grace, always in grace? No matter if it's disgrace. Uh, looking diligently, lest any man fall from the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest, note the three "lest"s there: lest any man fall of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness, lest there be any fornicator, or profane person. And the word "profane," one of the uh, meaning is profane means to speak lightly of sacred things. So here Esau, speaking lightly of sacred things, the most sacred thing that God had given him was the birthright. And he speaks lightly of sacred things. He despises, it, oh, what shall this birthright promise me? All the promises that were involved in that birthright. And he just throws it away for, a, uh, he throws away spiritual and eternal values for physical and temporal values. His whole value system was out." So, lest any man fall of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright, for ye know there how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, and when he wanted to get the inheritance back in his birthright, he was rejected for he found no, uh, no place of repentance, margin says no way to change his mind, no way to change his father's mind. No place of repentance though he saw it carefully with tears. And you see the whole point here is uh, Paul or the writer for the Hebrews is writing to the Christians Say, saying, listen here, you have now been born of the only begotten son, the New Testament only begotten son. You are the true Jacob Israel of God. The, the, you were the last, but you'll become the first. You're going to bruise the serpent's head. You're going to replace you' to have the character of a pilgrim and stranger, and you have a birthright. Don't sell it for Mesopotage, which they're tempted to do because of the pressure that's coming from Esau Judaism. That was the temptation. Now I want you to go back uh, quickly here to Genesis chapter 20. Let's pick up here. All right, Genesis, we'll just have to uh, refer to a couple of things here. Genesis chapter 27, we have, so we've had the birth of the twin sons, a little bit on the character of these two, now because of this there comes a great conflict uh between these two uh seed, the, the the two seed lines here. Now let's see what uh what what uh, Esau does here in Genesis chapter twenty eight. Let's pick up Genesis twenty-eight and then we'll uh answer Brother Steele's question here that I haven't forgotten. Uh, Genesis 28, verse 1 and 2, we'll just pick up here and go down a bit. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said, said to him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. God was very particular who they married. Arise, go to Paed and Aram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence, the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And gives the word. Now, verse 6, when Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan and Aram to take him a wife from thence and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan and that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Padan Aram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister, Nebajoth, to be his wife. Now let's see what's happening here. You see, Abraham. What's the thing that we've had here? We've had Abraham and Sarah, and from Abraham, Sarah, we have Isaac, and from Isaac, the twin sons. Now, now Abraham has Hagar, who is of the line of Ham and from Hagar as we've seen has come Ishmael so what does Esau do as soon as he hears the charge to Isaac and says well listen you've got to be particular who you marry." just as I had to get a bride from a far country you must I'm the God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob and Jacob submitted and was willing to obey and go into a far country to get a wife Uh, Esau as soon as he heard that the whole rebel thing comes out he says well I'm just going to do the opposite. So what does he do? He goes and gets a wife of Ishmael and marries into that line. Then not only does he do that, um, I'm not sure if I got the other scripture here. Let's see. any uh, college student remember uh, where uh, yes um, chapter 28 verse 6 to 9 let is this? see if I've got it because otherwise you had um, end of 26 is it okay thank you right okay that's what I want yes uh Genesis 26 verse 34 And Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith the daughter of Beri the Hittite uh, Bashamath the daughter of Eli and the Hittite which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah So what does Esau do? He marries into the line of Ham and we have polyg- polygamous marriage he marries into the line of Ham uh, into, the, into the flesh seed So as I said before the Ishmaelites and the Esau, Edomites are all in the Arab nations. So this is where the link up is through the marriage today, see? So that's why we have, as Jeremiah says, uh, the mixed, the mingled people, mingled people of the desert and the mingled people of the desert and of Arabia, the Arab nations the, because of this whole thing here. Now... Um, just looking at our time here. Let me just sort of take a few more moments here and see what happens. Why God says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. So, as I've said, he doesn't say I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Ishmael and the God of Esau because these were the firstborn after the flesh. But the first shall be last and the last shall become first. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Because each of these men has... uh, we did in uh, Church of the Firstborn taking, say, if we took Cain what are the characteristics that we've seen of Cain as the firstborn after the flesh? Murderer, liar, blood of the lamb rejecter, and hater of his brother, conflict against Abel, seed of the woman, seed of the serpent. Now Cain, what is the characteristic of Ishmael? He mocks Isaac and when Paul takes this up in Galatians 3, he said, these two sons of two covenants And he says, As it was then, so it is now. As Ishmael, uh, he who was born after the flesh, mocked him that was born after the Spirit, so it is now. And he says, The Judaizers uh, and the Judaistic teaching mocking the Christians, those who have been born after the flesh, mocking those who have been born of the Spirit. And he says, These two sons are two covenants. Uh, So conflict between the two things. Now we see the same thing continue. So God... Sets aside the firstborn after the flesh. Cain, because of the characteristics. Ishmael, because of characteristics. Esau, because of characteristics. Sets aside the firstborn after the flesh and says, firstborn after the spirit. The last shall be first. So the God of Abraham, the God of Ishmael, the God of Esau, no. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Now, let's go over to, to uh, Genesis chapter... well i had the scripture here somewhere uh genesis 36 i think is what i'm after Genesis 36. In chapter 36, we have a list of the generations of Esau. And it's interesting to note that just as from Jacob there were going to come 12 sons, so there was going to be a fleshly 12, 12 dukes of Edom. The 12 is 24, so 12 of the spirit and 12 counterfeits. It's amazing how many religions like to have 12 at the head, isn't it? But one of the particular sons I want you to pick up here, verse 12. And this is in Esau's genealogy and generations. And Timnah was concubine to Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bare to Eliphaz, who? Amalek go down to verse uh, 16 Duke Cor, Duke Galam and Duke Amalek now Amalek comes from Esau and who was the first enemy of God's people when they came up out of Egypt alright later on we've only got two or three more minutes left when God raised up King Saul or permitted him to be raised up as king God said to King Saul destroy the Amalekites. What did he do? He saved Agag, the king of the Amalekites. He should have destroyed Amalek, and because he failed to destroy Amalek, and Amalekite destroyed him. Have you studied the book of Esther? Who's the villain in the book of Esther? Haman. Haman was of Esau, Amalek. So you can see what line, and because of God's foreknowledge, he saw that. And the whole history that we haven't got time now to go into, the whole history of Edom, they wouldn't let Israel pass through their land. They slew those who were weak at the back. Uh, Any nations that came against Jacob Israel, the Esau Edomites always joined with those nations. When Jerusalem was destroyed, in Psalm 137, they, they said, Raise it, raise it to the ground. Uh, Edom caused uh, Israel to fall by their idolatry. Who was the uh, Edomite that slew 85 priests of the Lord in Saul's time? Goeg. So the whole history of that thing is manifest through there. And that's why God could say, Israel, Jacob, have I loved, Esau, have I hated. All right, let me finish with this. All this, as I said, it can be looked at naturally of the twin boys, and the conflict there nationally with what's going on today between the Israel-Arab situation uh, in an allegorical sense spiritually represents the type of the flesh, the seed, the fleshly seed, the mystery of iniquity and the type of the seed after the spirit, the children of promise, and that conflict. But praise God for that prophetic word that Jacob will supplant, he will replace, because the spirit is going to replace the flesh. And the last will become the first. Yes, brother? Yes, right. And that's that's what God saw. So, there was no unrighteousness with God, yes, yes mm-hmm. right, well, it's the same for the jew when we when I was in the middle of East over the Middle East where did we have the best meetings we had the best meetings with the Arabs right? the Jews were not turning to Christ right? so right, right because because of this ungodly thing that was there so it's not saying we should qualify that it's not saying that no Arabs will get saved because they are being saved and God is pouring out his spirit but he's talking about something beyond just the flesh as well, to that red spirit, that godless spirit that hates the the true Israel of God. That's that's the principle, the Esau principle. <laughs> no, they really are. Yeah, it's very hungry. They're very hungry and God is moving far more among the Arabs than he is amongst the Jews. We found that over there. All right, our time's up. Uh, Let's stand and close in prayer.